Hi, welcome to the Tell Me What You're Proud Of podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Maggie Perry. I'm a licensed psychologist with a doctorate degree in clinical psychology. I'm also the founder of the online group therapy platform, Huddle.Care. I love helping people overcome anxiety, obsessive compulsive disorder, mood disorders, and stress. Please join us each week as we share real sessions with actual clients that reveal helpful techniques for effectively dealing with anxiety, OCD, mood disorders, and stress. We'll discuss what effective therapy looks like, sounds like, and feels like. We'll follow our guests as they overcome their biggest fears and find that despite their biological vulnerabilities, they can still live a rich, full, and meaningful life. My therapeutic approach is strengths-based and seeks to find and reinforce what clients do well to help them generalize those skills towards areas where they're stuck. My model for psychotherapy can be summed up as this. You tell me what you're proud of and I'll help you become effective and happy across all areas of your life. Thanks for listening and let's get the show started. Hi, it's Dr. Maggie Perry with Tell Me What You're Proud Of. Um, This is my second session with Jim and we left off talking about um, his relationship with anger and how anger was a, um, any feeling other than anger was a challenging feeling for him to experience. So Jim, do you want to just jump off right from there where we left off and tell me more about that? Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, I think it had a lot to do with my childhood, um, and, and just kind of how I grew up where, uh, it was, uh, you know, it wasn't explicit. Nobody said like, you can't, you can only feel anger, but it was, it was kind of shaped, uh, by like kind of conditioning where, um, you know, I'd get in trouble or, um, you know, my parents would act a certain way if I, if I acted sad or scared. Um, and, uh, whereas, you know, if, if I acted angry, um, the, the, the the way they acted was, uh, was a, a little more accepting of it, I think. So just overall that kind of shaped my, uh, my, ability to um to even name and label uh some of those other emotions especially fear and and sadness and probably several others um but just uh so that was that was important early on and still is uh to be able to yeah sorry for interrupting but if i could just slow you down there so you mean even being able to label and name like you weren't able to label and name um sadness and fear yeah that's right um yeah no so you know, I remember early therapy um, sessions uh, years ago, um, where they, they, you know, the, the, they'd ask the question, you know, and how did that make you feel? And I remember um, that always being a really, really tough question because, um, like, it felt hard to even say out loud or to even think of the idea that I might have been feeling sad at that point in time, or or scared, or you know, embarrassed, or something like that. How did you develop that language? Yeah, so that's what I kind of refer to it sometimes as developing a, an emotional vocabulary or something like that. And uh, I, I think it came from, I mean, I really, uh, over, it, took, it took quite a while. You know, I think um, it, it started to be, I started to be more open to the idea or, or more exposed to, to feelings, uh, in therapy years ago, again, where, where, you know, it was, it was kind of like baby steps at first for me with therapy. And, and since I started seeing you, I was, I was a good little ways along that journey. So it was, it was a little easier to, uh, to, to make that kind of progress. But yeah, overall, I, it, it took a really long time to even kind of take the first step in that direction. You know, I'd come in with a, you know, oh, this happened. 
and you know the suggestion that maybe uh and you know how did that make you feel and my answer would be like really angry and it's like well is there anything else there and you know just kind of uh prodding and eventually get, getting around to it and then one day i i kind of had an epiphany it felt like after i started working with you where i kind of realized that oh wow yeah no it was like i was like you know this thing that's bothering me it it's possible to feel sad about that like like I gave the example of, of my work that, that I that I used to do um, and then moving um, and uh, how I felt about that. You know, that took a long time to process. And, you know, I, I kind of felt angry uh, about not being able to kind of achieve certain goals. And I felt angry at myself, maybe. Uh, but, you know, after discussing that with you, it was able I was able to tease out a lot more complexity in, in that kind of emotional landscape there that I was sad that um that i that i you know that being sick was 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 presenting additional challenges and i was scared that you know there's a lot of uncertainty around being uh you know the the, the, con the condition that i have uh, and uh and so being able to confront that being able to kind of cope with the fact that i had this chronic illness now with with emotions other than anger um you know that that was really fruitful what was fruitful about it? Like, how did having a expanded emotional vocabulary reduce your suffering? Yeah. Uh, so, like I said before, you know, I was kind of almost in denial a little bit about the the condition and its impact on me. You know, I think I think when I think about it, I was scared, so scared that um, that that it was easy to avoid that emotion and avoid thinking about it entirely. And uh, this is kind of like. Um, what was helpful about it was being able to get in touch with it at all. And by that, I mean, um, you know, I was so, I was so averse to the, to the feeling of fear or sadness around the chronic illness that, um, just trying it out, you know, just getting close to it. And, and it was kind of like, see, that's, see, see, it's not so bad. Or, or, you know, that, that wasn't so bad, was it? the first time that I admitted, you know, that, that, that yeah, it's scary, you know, to, to have a chronic condition that you don't know which way it'll go. Like, that was really helpful because um, it was, you know, learning basically slowly over time that, you know, it's not the end of the world if I think about how scary it is um, and that I can that I can be in that emotion and actually kind of sit through the, the discomfort and, and feel it. And it's and it's not actually as threatening as, as I believed it is. Um, to admit to those emotions, that, that was all really helpful. Um, it allowed me to process more of, um, of, of my feelings around my chronic condition, but just overall, it allows me to especially avoid anger because like I said, um, that, like I said, a lot of my, a lot of times when I'm feeling those two emotions, especially, I feel like it got transformed into anger. So it was, it was a lot easier once I got a little more comfortable saying I'm sad about this or I'm scared about this, it made it um, easier to not have those things turn into anger, you know, especially like in my personal life with, with, with other people, knowing what those feelings feel like, knowing what sadness feels like, knowing what fear feels like and things like that. It's a lot easier to recognize those things when they're there underlying and, and not let it develop into this case building and large amount of anger. Great. And so now at this point, when you notice your mind building a case, what is that like for you? It's, it's easier to get in front of it. It's easier for me to just say, like, I know where this is going and to basically choose not to do it. Like, you know, my case building essentially is, is someone ranting 
you know, but in my in my own brain, like, oh, I can't believe they did this and this, and you know, it's a rant basically. And so it's a lot easier to identify that pattern because it almost always means that some other emotion is there for me. So either identifying it or, you know, and I don't always deal with the emotion right then, but it's easier to dismiss the anger. You know, it's, it's easier to go like, you know, I probably haven't been wronged here. There's probably something emotional here going on that I'm, that I'm don't feel like processing right now. And either a, I can try to process it then, or B, I can let some of the anger go knowing that it's not actually anger. Yes. So really well said. So I just want to comment on our process here a little bit in that you talked a little bit about your childhood and I know reflection on how your emotional landscape developed from your childhood seems like it's been fruitful to you. I know that you've worked on expanding your emotional vocabulary. You have some different skills. Um, how does this, how does the therapy process, how do you understand the therapy process, especially from like a CBT perspective? Cause I would identify as a cognitive behavioral therapist. Hmm. Um, well, I think one big thing that's been helpful about this, this, you know, I think for a long time I, I had some perfectionism and some misconceptions about like what therapy was for, or, or at the very least I had some, some expectations that, that might not have been all that fruitful. And in, so in other words, um, I remember seeing therapists early on and, um, you know, they'd ask questions about childhood and things like this. And I expected, you know, and I don't think the culture, pop culture has helped out much with this, but I expected that what happens in therapy is you eventually discover the thing and then things are better. Um, and the thing I like about um, the kind of therapy that I've been doing with you is that, um, you know, it's really more about, you're not trying to, you're not trying to uncover some like uh big explanation, I guess, in terms of, you know, how your past, you know, just all of that, um, what, what you're trying to do is basically develop skills, um, regardless of sort of, um, of, of, of what may have happened in the past or even, or even kind of what's going on right now. Those, those, so those skills, those skills actually, you know, do, do you, do you, I think some modalities get it backwards where you go back and you try to look at all these traumatic events and things like that without the skills. Um, whereas now that I've got skills, it's a lot easier actually to reflect about my, uh, about my past and about my present. Um, if that makes sense, like, like having the skills, like I really feel like some of that childhood therapy stuff is probably not the, like not a place to start, but it's probably a place to finish. Really well said. Can you can you expand on that? Well, just you know, going back to the example from before. I mean, you know, if, if bringing up those bringing bringing that bringing up memories and things like that, and just thinking about your childhood and your 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 you know your family and culture of origin, it's like um, you that's going to bring up a lot of fear and it's going to bring up a lot of, of sadness. And um, you know, if you can't even identify those emotions. Um, and, and process them and be, be able to um, sit with them and not, and, you know, realize that it's not the end of the world if you feel sad for, you know, a couple minutes or, 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 you know, scared for, for a little while. Um, I think that makes it a lot more helpful to, to then think more deeply about kind of issues of identity and, and, and you know, how did I get here? Who am I? And what do I value? And things like that. So, um, so, 
that was that was you know I spent a lot of years um, trying to go through that kind of therapy without really having the tools to even deal with some of the content that was coming up. Okay, and can you tell me more about the tools, the skills, and the homework? Like, how, how do you, what do you see as the skills and how you got there? Yeah, that's, that's another great example. It's like, um, you know, I, I did some CBT before that had some homework, you know, ha- had more homework, and I would always feel really bad about um, not being able to complete it. Um, and, Give you me know, an example. Uh, you know, like I'm going to, um, you know, only spend two hours uh, max on, uh, on social media every day this week, and then, you know, failing it. You know, and if I failed, so, you know, it'd be fine. I'd do it for one day, another day. But then if I failed, it was kind of all or nothing. And it was, um, you know, it felt like um, I'd feel really bad about it, basically. Um, and, you know, this and but at that point in time, I didn't even have the concept of perfectionism, like clinical perfectionism. Um, so so, you know, I kind of felt um, I think I felt ashamed um, that, that I wasn't, that I wasn't able to succeed. And, and I didn't kind of know some of the mechanisms a, around perfectionism and things like that, that were driving that feeling of shame and failure. And, uh, I think that impeded my progress a whole bunch because every week I was, um, I felt like I was kind of secretly failing alone and that I couldn't talk about it that much in therapy for some reason. Can you, um, explore that a little bit? Why do you think you were secretly yeah, yeah, no, I, mean, I think that's kind of the mechanism of shame, right? Um, is that, um, yeah, no, I, I could have brought it up in therapy, but for some reason I felt like I, I couldn't. And that reason is that's what shame does, right? Um, it, 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 it kind of makes you want to isolate and, and not share the fact that you feel shame. Um, so it would have been nice to have known those skills before I even started to do homeworks. Like, I, I think there should be like a, ca- you know, a, a FAQ or a set of caveats that like, hey, doing any homework at all, you might feel this way if you don't, if you don't succeed. And that's probably just, you know, perfectionism or, um, you know, there, there, there are significant caveats around doing homework that I don't think are, are laid out to, um, to people that are going to do homework. And, and you don't discuss the, the homework kind of meta process by default enough in therapy. That's a great point. There's actually literature around that, that the, um, one of the, biggest reasons that people drop out of therapy and especially especially exposure and response therapy for anxiety disorders or also known as experiments is that there isn't enough prep around why you're doing the exposure in the first place and then also what you can expect while it's occurring so if it's if you're assuming that going into cognitive behavioral therapy, you're, what's happening is that you're experiencing anxiety, you're avoiding in response, that's um, creating, maintaining, and intensifying your uh, suffering. So what you got to do is go find like a therapy coach, basically, that is going to teach you how to do exposure, teach you not to do, teach you to do the response prevention. All you have to do is do the homework perfectly, and then you're not going to have your anxiety anymore. Um, is that actually some version of what you were thinking when you started therapy? Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and even though theoretically that ideally could be the process, um, for most people, what happens as they start to do exposure is all their beliefs show up. So beliefs about needing to do it perfectly or feelings of guilt because they have um, inflated responsibility of what it means to go towards whatever 
is anxiety provoking. Um, they might have negative belief, like core beliefs about not being worthy or being hopeless or helpless that suddenly pop up as they try to go towards whatever they're afraid of. Um, so from my perspective, that's all part of the process and shame. Like you said, lots of people feel shame when they try to do something that's challenging or that they're not able to do perfectly. Um, so from my perspective, that is what therapy is that in the context of a safe and supportive relationship, you try out something new and then you see what types of thoughts and feelings show up and then you work to get more flexible around those thoughts and feelings and then you modify the exposure so that you target the things that the thoughts and feelings that continue to cause you suffering. Um, but sometimes, um, you know, that that part of the process is either not explained or minimized or, or something like that. Do you have thoughts about that? Yeah. Um, no, I think it's a, it's an interesting thing. You know, you, you come in, I feel like uh, maybe for a lot of people, when you're in therapy, the expectation is, you know, you're going to uh, discuss things that are going on in your life, um, you know, with someone and, and that that's kind of the, that's kind of the main point of departure, but actually therapy is something that's going on in your life. Right. And when you first start, like the thing that brings you to therapy is, um, you know, it might be acute enough, you know, maybe you're having panic attacks or something, but it might be acute enough, but that's not the issue that you talk about. But I do think that, you know, at some point in the journey for, for a lot of people that actually kind of breaking the fourth wall uh, and having therapy about how therapy is making you feel, like having a discussion about how therapy is making you feel. In other words, that's a big part of your life, too. And you're probably having, you know, reactions to that and you're probably having content around that. Um, we do that sometimes in, in the groups um, with you, uh, you know, you, you'll ask every now and then, like, you know, has anybody ever felt, um, has anybody ever done post, uh, you know, has any, has anybody ever done kind of uh, uh, post event processing about, about one of the sessions here itself? I think that stuff's really good. Like the meta is, is, is way underdone. What's helpful about that from your perspective? Um, well, especially with people who are anxious and maybe potentially have some perfectionism, you know, emotional perfectionism, especially like like the therapy process itself can become a source of content, I think, fairly easily. Um, and 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 but but there's this and maybe it's cultural. But, yeah, you know, you know, you never see anyone in movies talking to their therapist about the therapy itself. They're always talking about, you know, their childhood or, or something like that. So um, I, given given that 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 it's easy to become perfectionistic about the therapy process itself. It's kind of important to be open to the idea that, that, you know, that therapy is not some sacred ground where you can't acknowledge that you're, you know, where it's not allowed for you to acknowledge that you're in therapy and that itself is a process, you know, just all of yeah. that. Yeah. And I would even expand on that, that that's a perfect microcosm of what's probably going on in a person's life. Right. So feeling like you've got to do anything anything and everything perfectly, including the thing of trying to get better right. um, is usually, or one of the reasons that people come in in the first place. So if you can learn to talk about what, if you can get language around what's happening, talk about what's happening, and then be more flexible in your approach and be willing to take risks and be imperfect and um, sit with all the feelings that show up as uh, you're doing it imperfectly, then you have the you are starting to have the skills to be able to do that in other areas of your life too. Exactly. Yeah. Like I remember when, when I first started working with you, there were the commitments. So I, I kind of like commitments a little better than homework because you could, 
I mean, initially I wanted to commit to everything and do it perfectly. Um, and I remember, you know, back then that like, you know, I would go out of like, like even, you know, if I would made the commitment to, to do certain work, like I would do it, even if I didn't feel good, like, so it was a while before I realized that, you know, flexibility is, is, is this huge thing and this important thing. And that like, um, that if I committed to something and then wasn't able to do it, that that's not the end of the world. Um, you know, that that is, um, that, that I need to be flexible even on that. Um, and, and maybe hone, you know, maybe iterate and hone my commitment to, to something more manageable. But, you know, that if you can't, if you can't do the homework, if you can't do the commitment that, um, that, that, um, that that's okay. Yeah. And what's, what was the difference between homework and commitments from your perspective, even those words? Yeah. Um, well, you know, homework is, is loaded with a lot of baggage in terms of like, you know, stress and things like that. You know, uh, even a straight A student probably will have some, uh, some, um, negative associations with homework and, uh, you know, very few of us were straight A students lifelong. So there are probably even more negative associations with the idea of homework versus a commitment. Um, well, you know, probably some people have, uh, <laughs> that, that might be a loaded word for some people too, who have had issues with commitment, but yeah, overall for me, it was, it was, it was, um, in terms of the word itself, um, I, I felt like I had more agency in, in the, in the commitment versus homework thing, you know, homework suggests, um, homework suggests one hour dynamic, I guess, uh, it's being assigned to you, uh, versus a commitment feels more like, Hey, it's a choice I'm making. It's mine. Um, you know, it's, it's, Homework has a judgmental connotation. You know, you're, you're being judged on how well you do it. Commitment is you're the judge and you can, you know, sort of know that, that, that people can be harsh judges of themselves, but I feel like it's just a better, better framing overall. Yeah, I really like everything that you're saying there. The homework implies that I'm assigning it to you and then I'm judging whether or not you're doing it well. Commitment implies you're right. deciding what you care about and what you value and you're committing to it in some um, right. reasonable way. Right. Um, and I appreciate what you were saying that like if you overshoot, so if you commit to something that's not reasonable, just part of the process is learning like that's okay. How can I modify to make myself um, right. effective knowing that um, effectiveness over time it are reasonable commitments over time or like is the byproduct of reasonable commitments over time rather than trying to be perfect. Um, so that's really good. Yeah. The other thing that I was thinking is even though the, the term, the word commitment can have baggage for people that um, seems like the type of baggage that's worth, I mean, maybe homework in some senses can also be something that you work through in, in therapy, but I think commitment is a really important one to work through because um, being able to make a decision and live in it is such an important part of adulthood and um, well-being. And so if you can start with something like, I'm going to commit tomorrow to um, you know, staying under two hours on, on social media. And if I can make that commitment over time, um, I can also make other commitments like where I want to work or what, if I want to go back to school or who I want to um, date or be with long-term, um, like those kind of little commitments can add up and give you self-trust until you're able to make like larger, um, 
larger commitments that matter a lot to your life. Um, do you have thoughts about that? No. Uh, yeah, no, I think that that's really well said. Um, you know, homework, homework failure is um, not actually possible in therapy. Um, and and um, that takes a long time to figure out. Like, like, like as long as you're going, like there's no, there is no failure. Um, but it does get early on. Um, Why is there no failure? It's about putting in the reps. I mean, you know, it's again, it's, it's more like working out than, um, than winning a beauty contest, right? Like, I mean, it's, it's, it, the, 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 you win when you show up, you win when you, um, when you persist. Um, it's not like there's a singular moment of failure or success. Um, it's a process, not an, not an outcome. Um, and so homework makes it easy to go into what I think is a, for me, was certainly a default attitude about therapy, that it was a, uh, that it was a, a kind of endeavor of either success or failure rather than process. Yes, that's wonderful. And I just want to um, expand on that, that that is true for all conditions. So even though OCD is sometimes thought of as like either you do ex exposure and response prevention and your anxiety subsides or you don't, um, that is still a process that is not linear. You can make, you can like most people when they come to understand how anxiety and OCD operates for the first time, they do get pretty rapid relief in, in some parts of their anxiety because all of a sudden they understand that some things are maintaining it. And if they stop doing those things, then they don't feel as anxious. And also typically um, understanding how, how subtly this process can be and how pervasive it can be throughout your life can take a long time, can take a lot of trial and error and a lot of persistence. Um, and so recovery is very rarely linear. And I just appreciate the way that you're saying just showing up is succeeding in therapy. Right. Do you have any other thoughts about that? No, I don't think so. Okay. And in awareness of our time, is there anything um, that's happening for you this week that you want to commit to? Um, well, the social media thing might be a good idea. Um, I kind of broke the spell on that uh, last night, though, I think. Um, but I was spending way too much time on it. Um, I think um, I've got to give a presentation on uh, Thursday. I think not over preparing for that is probably uh, the best commitment or, you know, the, the, the most useful commitment that I can make right now. Um, and so making that more concrete. Yeah. Well, let's just talk about that for a second. Mm -hmm. In what way, um, tell me more about the anxiety that shows up when you give presentations and why you might have the urge to over prepare. Yeah, I think one of the things that goes on is like a fear that I won't get it done, I guess. Um, like a fear that I'll maybe get sick and, um, and uh, not actually finish it or um, yeah, that I won't be well long enough to, to, to get it to a level that's not embarrassing, basically. That, you know, that other people will think that I've, uh, you know, done next to no work and, um, I'll also feel bad that, um, or I'll also feel worried that if I don't, that I'll, that I will judge myself if I don't put in sufficient effort. So th th those, those are, those are the kind of things that are kind of going on in the background. Um, you know, that I, I really want to prove to myself and to others that I, that I worked really hard on this. How do you feel as you describe that, those fears? 
a little bit of relief actually, you know, just, just being able to identify what's going on because, you know, like I said, I sit here and tell, talk like, like I'm, like I'm at the end of this long journey, but I, I'm actually in the middle of it. Uh, you know, for the last couple hours, I've been thinking, Oh no, like I've been, I've been kind of stressing about all of my work. Um, and, um, and whether or not, you know, it's going to be good enough and things like that. So th this is, this is always, uh, you know, this, this is, it's hard to, um, like just dealing with, with that is, is, is probably a better expectation than expecting that I'll never feel that way. Um, yeah, that's great. Well, when those thoughts were showing up, the like, oh no, what if this isn't good enough? How did that impact your behavior? Or like, what, what, what was your day like today, given that, those fears? Well, yeah, so it was, um, you know, it, it, it kind of is paralyzing in a way. It, it makes it hard to get work done because I've got, you know, not just this presentation, you know, I've got like three different lines of, of, of work that I need to be doing. Um, and, um, you know, feeling bad about each of them is, um, you know, and worrying about each of them is not actually the same as, as acting uh, and is not actually the same as making pro like, you know, any amount of progress. So that, so that, so kind of, I've been, I've been kind of worried about that in the background and I'll get a little bit of work done and then kind of think about something else that needs to be done and get stressed out and then just go um, distract myself from feeling stressed out with like social media or something like that. Um, how do you, how do you know you're stressed out? Like what shows up in your body? Definitely like a tightness in the chest, a kind of darting, you know, my thoughts kind of dart around, um, but mostly like a tightness in the chest and muscle tension and things like that. And if you were going to stay with that feeling rather than go on social media, what would that be like for you? It would seem scary, but I, I you know, even now, like it's, I'm feeling myself, I'm feeling a level of tension ease in my body that I didn't know was there. <laughs> Talking Glad about to it. hear it. Yeah. 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 So there's some part of you that before we were talking recognized, oh, I'm using social media too much. And oh gosh, I have the urge to over prepare for this thing on Thursday. But was it hard at all to tie it together? Like had if we weren't talking, would it have been hard to maintain a commitment to, to not overperform or to not distract yourself with social media? It gets yeah, I mean it definitely that this it's nice because it brings it all into focus. It's definitely harder for me to, to come up with this organically, primarily because I'm so busy trying to avoid the feeling of worry about, you know, being embarrassed or, or just, you know, trying to avoid all of those feelings um, that, um, yeah, it's really hard to put it all together. I mean, you know, if, if you're avoiding thinking about this thing, it's kind of hard to come to a realization about what's going on. Um, so that's why, yeah. That's why I find, you know, discussing this stuff very useful. Yeah, that completely makes sense. I think I'm on the same page about that, that yeah. um, as you, you can kind of learn tools for, to try to minimize avoidance and also sometimes just going towards something while, while talking is kind right. of the best way to minimize your avoidance. Um, right. So again, as you notice what you're afraid of, do you, st does it still feel like a threat? No, not as much. No, not, not as much at all. Okay. Do you think it'll be hard to, to keep the commitment to uh, um, avoid social media or to like put boundaries around your work in the next couple of days? It could be if like I encounter a significant roadblock. So it probably won't be now that I've uh, anticipated that to an extent. Um, but yeah, no, it, it, like it definitely could be if I wasn't ready for that.
um, you know, so if, if, if something is like unexpectedly, you know, 10 times harder than I thought it was going to be, um, you know, that, that might be an opportunity to, to, um, experience either a setback or, um, or to, uh, or to kind of, uh, think about my commitment and, 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 uh, and, and not avoid at that point in time and just process the, the feeling of, oh, well, this sucks, but like, um, you know, it's yeah. what is the feeling you'll have if it's, if it's significantly harder than you were expecting, what will you feel? Probably fear that I, that I, that I won't be able to, to do it. Um, will be the biggest one, you know, it'll just, it'll amplify some of the, some of the fears that I have and, uh, you know, the, the, the maybe some shame that like I didn't, uh, start on things earlier and, and things like that. As you notice that it's fear at that time, does it feel courageous to keep working? No, I, I mean, it, I never think of it that way, but that seems like it would potentially be a really useful way to think about it. That's yeah. So if, yeah. if you're scared, like that's what courage is doing right. something do in the face it? of fear. Yeah, exactly. So rather than shame, rather than beating yourself up about everything that you did wrong to get yourself to this place or feeling shame about um, potentially failing, as we've discussed, doesn't actually exist. Then if you go with like, if I'm feeling fear, then I'm acting courageously. It's great that I'm staying with this regardless of the outcome. Overall, that attitude will help you succeed over time. Yeah. Okay. Well, then it sounds like a good commitment. Why don't we end there? Thank you for your time, Jim. Yep. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you felt any benefit from the show, please let us know and share it with anyone you think would also find benefit. As a disclaimer, please consult your doctor or therapist before